The Philadelphia Eagles resilience flies high yet again, showing that they're the best team in the league as they win a thriller at home versus the Buffalo Bills with Week 12 closing out tonight. A wild college football Saturday sets the stage for what lies next as Conference Championship weekend is on deck, and I still can't believe Alabama completed a fourth and goal from the 31. The NBA in-season tournament is down to its final week. Where do we stand when it comes to who will advance? Are the Rangers a threat to the Boston Bruins in the East? Plus a familiar face is back in net for the Tampa Bay Lightning. The MLB hot stove is lukewarm with a trade, a signing, and a new manager in San Diego. Hope you enjoyed your holiday weekend as we get back into a new week to close out the month of November with the usual hard-hitting, fast-paced sports talk that you've come to hear for yourself. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. I've got plenty of Thanksgiving leftovers to share as the sports world served up a lot over the past week. So there's plenty to catch up on as this is the J Reels podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as last Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and I hope you had a tremendous Thanksgiving weekend, and now that I have my sights set on getting back to two weeks, meaning two podcasts over the course of the next few days, obviously with Thanksgiving last week, I took another respite, and I understand it's on top of the respite I took a few weeks before that, but... Nevertheless, from now through the end of the year, although Christmas week may be a little bit of a challenge considering Christmas is on a Monday, but I will figure it out. I will make sure that you're going to get your fill and your fix on everything that's happening in the sports world, not just once, but twice a week from now to the end of the year. That I can promise you. But for right this very moment, sports, we understand it's going to be all football. And yes, there's some other things that we could sprinkle in, which I'll talk about later on in the podcast. Obviously, the NBA in-season tournament which will conclude on Sunday, so we can get ready for what's going to happen in Vegas next week. And we'll discuss that more then, but we'll give you a little lay of the land as far as the standings and who may advance, things of that nature, what's happening on the ice in the NHL, some hot stove, which has been very lukewarm, as I mentioned at the top. But the NFL is front and center, as we know, and the one story that I take away from yesterday, and people could say, Jay Reels, please, the Eagles, why are you going to bring them up? We understand that they're 10-1, and they have the best record, and yes, they pulled another game out of the fire, but that is the point. This is a team that, even with their record of 10-1, and and for all of the talk about them not playing as well as they did last year, and not being that same type of offensive firepower that we saw, whether it was running the football, not only just from the quarterback, but also from their plethora of running backs going back to last year, where this year, eh, it's a little bit thin, even though DeAndre Swift is an excellent back. And guys like Kenneth Gainwell, I know they're not going to jump off the page, but still they were able to be efficient enough to have this run to where they've had all these comebacks. And we get it, that they're not going to sustain throughout the rest of this regular season and even into the postseason, but... You have to give it up to what they've done here, how they've responded, how they've even rebounded from that just 
awful defeat. And I say awful only because it boiled down to that one pass interference call at the very end, or I believe it was a hold, on Juju Smith-Schuster on that third and eight, which set up the field goal by Kansas City in order for them to win last year's Super Bowl in Arizona. And we could talk about how even in the postgame Jalen Hurts last year, after that crushing Super Bowl defeat, how this is only going to build and it's going to stick with him and it's going to just be the fuel that's going to spark him and hopefully the rest of his team to get back to that position this coming February in Las Vegas. And I know the last couple of weeks I've said Arizona, so smack me on the wrist, my bad, or even smack me right in the mouth for that matter. The game is going to be played at Allegiant Stadium. But here we are now 12 weeks in, and yes, we could talk about their one loss against the Jets of all teams, but this is a team that's shown a lot of toughness, and more importantly, a lot of resilience. We were not on the airwaves on Thursday, as you know, so we didn't talk about the Monday night game last week, to where the Eagles had to come from a 17-7 deficit in Kansas City, a Super Bowl rematch. Talk about being apropos with everything that i discussed here over the course of the first few minutes, dating back to the game last year. But for the Eagles to pull out that game, and I understand that the Chiefs, they had a lot of bad drops, including the big one there by Marquez Valdez-Scantling at the very end, which was a ball that should have been caught. Let's face it, it wasn't an easy catch based on the trajectory of the way the ball was thrown and how... Valdez-Scantling had to contort himself a little bit to get himself aligned with catching that ball. It wasn't as if it was in his breadbasket. It wasn't a sure catch, but it was a ball that any wide receiver, as long as you're employed in the NFL, should catch. And obviously that wasn't the case. So they did get a break there, but it does show the resolve and it does show the grit for them to pull out that game in the rain on a Monday night Super Bowl rematch. And then six days later, same set of circumstances. Obviously in their building, but with a constant steady rain down 24-14. You had the bad pick there at 24-21 by Josh Allen, which I'm sure that's a ball he would love to have back. And even with the lead that they were able to take there late in the game, But it didn't matter because then Buffalo came right down the field with a bunch of runs and then they punched it into the end zone to where they had a 31-28 lead and then you thought to yourself, all right, let's see if the Philadelphia offense has one more bullet left in their chamber. I know that's a bad pun in this day and age, but for the Eagles to then go down the field, a couple of key third down conversions to Devontae Smith, set themselves up for not a 39, not a 49, But a 59-yard field goal by Jake Elliott, you talk about clutch. That, when it came off the foot or off the leg of Elliott, I thought it was going to sail wide right. It would have been a tough loss considering that they were trailing and that they came back to take the lead to give it up late there with that touchdown. And then for Elliott to connect, there in the elements, wet field, rain, etc., Just an enormous kick that if that was in January or even in the Super Bowl, it would have gone down in NFL history as one of the biggest kicks ever. And as it was, the Bills got the opening coin toss there for the overtime. They were able to march down the field and I'm sure that the Bill fan and Josh Allen, Gabriel Davis, they may not have slept a wink considering that when Gabriel Davis went to the Corner of the end zone when the ball was thrown by Josh Allen wide open as he had a couple of steps on the cornerback, but it was incomplete. They had to settle for a field goal. And then what happened? One more time. The resolve, the resilience, the overall toughness of this team. And we could date it back to last year. And we get it that last year they dominated. And a lot of these skeptics out there thought that this is a team that they're going to get picked off. This is a team that is not as sharp and is not as potent as they were a year ago. And I understand it's easy to compare teams from a year ago considering that they went to the Super Bowl, they were a one seed, top record, etc. But here they are. And after them getting the ball in the overtime with the score 34-31 and dink, dunk, here, there, and Jalen Hurts, as he looked at the defense, a cover zero, decided to take the ball himself, Go off left tackle with a block from Jason Kelsey into the end zone, 37-34. The Eagles win again. Another big win, another tough opponent. 
And the schedule is going to get trickier, as I'll get to in a second. But as I was watching that and just thinking about my theme for this week 12, Thanksgiving weekend, etc. To me, it was the Eagles. Because they are right now in pole position in the NFC. And that was a huge win on so many levels. Because of the schedule, as I mentioned, they have San Francisco coming into that building. They have a two-game lead. If they would have lost that game, it would have been a one-game lead. And that would have been probably for a one seed when it was all said and done. But now there is at least a little breathing room knowing that even if the Eagles were to lose on Sunday to San Francisco, there would still be a game ahead in the standings when it comes to the conference. But now, I'm sure they're going to look ahead to think that with the Niners coming in, and I'm sure they want to exact a little bit of revenge, similar to what the Eagles had to do in Kansas City last Monday night. And I understand that the stakes are much lower than a Super Bowl ring. But for San Francisco, remember last year in that championship game where Brock Purdy went out with that elbow injury, what was it, about four or five plays in? And considering that they were undermanned and did not have any type of quarterback play, you knew that it was going to be tough sledding for the Niners to even compete, let alone win that game. So now that they're fully stacked with a healthy team and coming off a 10-day layoff, because remember, they played on Thanksgiving night, so they'll have a couple of extra days rest. We all know that that is going to be a street fight, considering the Niners know that if they lose that game, they can forget about the one seed. And on the flip side, the Eagles know that if they win that game, they're going to be a shoe-in and everybody's going to have to come through Philadelphia to get to a Super Bowl. And then after that, they go to Dallas as well as Seattle. This stretch here where they play Kansas City, obviously Buffalo yesterday. So it is a bit of a gauntlet for the Eagles, but they certainly have stepped up and then some, knowing that these past two weeks, and one more time, considering that I did not have a podcast on Thursday, To me, it was a no-brainer to bring up the Eagles as far as the way they've played here and what they've shown that although it has not been spectacular, but it's certainly been not only just a gut check, but it shows the intestinal fortitude of this team. I get it. It's 12 weeks in and it's the regular season. We need to see this in January. And not to say that what happened in the postseason last year is going to be a carbon copy this year, but these are the building blocks to when you get to January that you know that Even if this team is down 10 points, down two scores, it doesn't matter. As an Eagle fan or even an NFL fan, you know that this team is going to have enough faith and they're going to have enough confidence to know that it doesn't matter what the score may be at what point of the game. That they're going to have the capability to come back, make plays, get back in the game, even take the lead and win the game. And that's something that you don't teach. That's something that you can't even comprehend as a head coach to know that if you have guys that are going to go into that foxhole and do whatever it takes to win and not panic and not be the type of team that's going to look around and be that front-running team to point fingers, not this one. So I've been overly impressed by the way they've performed here, not only over the last two weeks, but really over the course of the first 12 weeks of the season. And by far, they are the best team I understand people from San Francisco could say, oh, let's see what happens this coming Sunday, and we're going to see that. And maybe some faction are going to say, Kansas City, the Chief fan will say, well, let's see in a rematch in the Super Bowl. We'll be there, and I'm sure we'll take care of business at that time. You can't say that right now. And there isn't any other team out there. Maybe the Raven fan in Baltimore could look and say, well, I think that we have not only just a puncher's chance, but a good shot to beat the Eagles. Well, we'll have to see. Maybe come February, but right now, by far, I feel the Philadelphia Eagles are the best team in the league. And as we go through the slate of games here over the course of the last three days, I'm going to trim some fat with some games here. Am I really going to get into Carolina and Tennessee, where the Titans won 17-10? Or the same goes for the Rams winning in Arizona 37-14? Sorry, there's nothing to uncover there if you ask me when a we're going to break down some of the games that took place over the weekend or the Giants beating New England 10-7. to As Bill Belichick, who knows? I know there may be a big giant question mark as to whether or not he returns as coach next year. And who knows? With the way that they performed this year, not having a quarterback, having to pull Mac Jones, he's definitely not the answer. That's the big story coming out of New England. But as far as the game itself, really, in the rain, Giants and Patriots, a far cry from the two Super Bowl games that we saw a decade plus. Uh, 
I won't even get into Thanksgiving, Washington and Dallas. We know Dallas ran away with that game. No shock there. The Commanders who fired Jack Del Rio, which to me made no sense because you know Ron Rivera is going to be out the door by season's end. So for the Commanders, as they have their tails between their legs just to play out the rest of this string and Dallas continues to beat up on bad teams, what is there to unpack? I don't know. I understand Indianapolis is a team that we may have to pay attention to only because they're 6-5 and five, and with the way the AFC is unfolding as far as the playoff picture, but with Tampa, that's a team that's going nowhere even in a division in the NFC South that is competitive but pretty much has been very underwhelming to say the least and we'll talk about New Orleans, Atlanta in a little bit. But Indianapolis winning 27-20 to 20 at home against Tampa Bay. One more time, give it up for what the coach who just got there this year, if you recall, Scott Steichen, the former Philadelphia Eagle offensive coordinator, and without their quarterback, Anthony Richardson, give them some credit as they've been competitive. And yes, they may have beaten up on some bad teams here, and they did get swept by Jacksonville, so they're when it comes to a division, they're not going to be able to match when it comes to tiebreaker considerations. But for the Colts, who have done a very good job, And even with them letting go of Darius or now Shaq Leonard, the linebacker, former All-Pro with the back injuries that he's had over the course of the last couple of years, they still have played very well. And even without their big gun there patrolling the middle part of the field, they've been able to pick up the pieces and perform pretty, pretty well. I mean, what more can you say about a Colt team that a lot of people thought that after Anthony Richardson, and not to say that he was going to be the savior by any stretch, but Gardner Minshew, who is a very capable quarterback. We've seen him have success, especially in Jacksonville and a little bit with Philadelphia last year, even though he had the one game against Dallas that he was awful. Oh no, that wasn't Dallas. It was the game, I believe at home. I don't, it wasn't Chicago. There was a game late in the season, which he did not play well. It may have been Washington now that I think about it, but for Indianapolis, I know I may not be giving them their just due, but because it was against Tampa, and even though we do have to keep in mind of them being in this AFC race, but again, a game that I'm not going to go gaga over. Same for the Black Friday game. And I understand it involves Miami, who they're going to be a team that looks like they're going to win the AFC East, considering that Buffalo now at 6-6, and I haven't talked about them, even with that tough loss yesterday, but I'll get to them in a second. But the Dolphins went up to... Met life and took care of business. And this is all you need to know if you're a Jet fan. Right before the half, where Tim Boyle, who's now the quarterback, and who knows if he's going to be the quarterback any longer, you would think he will be considering that Zach Wilson has been benched and he may not be seen in a Jet uniform or at least playing on the field for the remainder of this year, barring any just crazy circumstance. But at the end of that half, where the score was, I believe it was 10-6, where Boyle threw up a Hail Mary from midfield, and it was caught at the one-yard line by Javon Holland. And all he did was run it back 99 yards to close out the half, and pretty much for all intents and purposes, the game was done right there. When have you ever seen a Hail Mary get taken back for a pick six? And it would only happen to the Jets. That's the only franchise that you would think off the top of your head in the NFL that this could happen to. And sure enough, it did. And pretty much put the Jets out of their misery because they are 4-7. and They're not making the playoffs. I don't care what the shows or the pregame where they could come out and say the teams that are still in the hunt or Aaron Rodgers could come back sometime in mid-December and let's see where the Jets are at that time. Forget about it. That team is not in the hunt for a postseason spot. You could take that to the bank that some of these... Pre-game shows, they're going to put that out there that the Jets, even though they have just gone through it, and I believe their last win was against the Eagles. Funny how I talked about that a little while ago. But since then, they've been in a free fall. Similar to last year, if you recall, when they were 7-4 and four, and they reeled off a six-game losing streak to end the year to be 7-10. and 10. Not to say that the rest of the games are going to be all losses, considering that they were 4-3 and three, and that was their high-water mark of the year. But this Jet team is out of control. There's no way that they're going to bounce back from this, even if Aaron Rodgers came back this week, and we understand that that's not going to be the case. So for the Dolphins, 8-3, and three, 
We still have to see this in a big spot with this team. And it looks like they're going to win a division because Buffalo, I can't see them getting out of their own way. And even though their schedule is going to get even trickier, they still have to go to Kansas City. They have Dallas coming into their building, which to me, that's more on Dallas than it is Buffalo. But it's not going to be an easy game for the Bills. So for Buffalo, you would think that the division, although they do have a win against the Dolphins based on their home win against the Miami crew, what was it, 48-20 up in Orchard Park. But how I look at it is, is that it's going to be the division for the Dolphins to lose as opposed for the Bills to win. So that's what we're going to look at here as we get to the month of December to close out this stretch of games and obviously the final home stretch of the season. To go back to Thanksgiving, a bad loss by the Lions and maybe this was one that the football god said, "Uh uh-uh. We gave you one the previous Sunday at home against the Chicago Bears where they were down 26-14 with less than five minutes to go. And I understand the Bears are awful. But they came back and won that game as you recall. But then on Thanksgiving, just a few days later, they had a rough start to their game where they gave up 20 points right out the bat including a fumble recovery for a touchdown just in the first quarter alone. And then at 23-14, I get it that Dan Campbell was trying to be cute. A fake punt at his own 23-yard line foiled to where the Packers were able to convert three plays later. Touchdown in the end zone where Jordan Love threw three touchdowns in a game and has actually played pretty well here over the last few weeks. And that was too much of a mountain for the Lions to climb, although they made it close there, 29-22. But that was a loss that could reverberate in the NFC because that evening... The 49ers were in Seattle and the Seahawks were no match for San Francisco. A game that maybe people thought because it was in Seattle and knowing that they were a game behind the 49ers for the NFC West lead. But again, no contest as Christian McCaffrey just ran roughshod over the Seahawks defense. And even though they tried to make it interesting with the pick six there deep in the 49ers zone, but still... There was no way that the Niners were going to relinquish that lead as they went on to win 31-13. And now the Niners have the two seed as of right this moment in the NFC, which is going to be enormous because if it ends the way it does, and even though that the Lions, their schedule isn't really that tricky, they do have Denver coming into that building and Denver has played well. And they still have the Vikings a couple of games, which aren't going to be easy. They do have another date with the Bears, I believe, down the road. They've already finished their games against the Packers, as you know, with a split there and a win early in the season in Green Bay. But how I look at it is, you would rather have San Francisco go to Detroit. It would be a lot more of an intriguing game if that was the case sometime in the latter part of January as opposed to Detroit going to San Francisco because that would be a foregone conclusion that the Niners would just run up and down the field against the Lions after winning a wildcard playoff game. So that's one race you're going to have to keep in mind for the two seed there in the NFC. And as far as the games yesterday, I know that the NFC South, that is going to be a slog. That is going to be just a tough watch the rest of the way. And just think about this, that the Falcons, who with another poor quarterback performance by Desmond Ritter, as he threw a couple of interceptions in the game. But the Falcons, their defense rose to the occasion. I know Derek Carr threw for 304 yards, but had an interception and certainly didn't do anything else as far as the stat line, throwing touchdowns or making some big completions. And you had a situation where one of the top receivers of the Saints, Chris Olave, went down with a concussion. And who knows what his status is going to be for the remainder of the year. But... No matter how good, bad, or ugly this Falcon team is, they are currently tied in first place and have the lead when you look at the overall standings because the of the head-to-head matchup with the Saints. And they're going to play again down the road, I believe, the final game of the season. Well, you have the Saints and the Falcons, which chances are is going to be for the division. But as ugly as a game as you could possibly have for two teams that are playing for a division lead. But all you have to see is the record as they're both 5-6 and six, and that's all you need to know where a Falcon team, if they're able to run the ball and if they're able to just stay away from Ritter having to throw the ball and the Falcons to play good enough defense, I'm not going to say they're going to be dangerous, but who knows? They may have a puncher's chance come January. As we all know, they're going to be an underdog either one of these two teams because chances are they're probably going to play the Dallas Cowboys in the 4-5 matchup come wildcard weekend in January. 
So give it up for the Falcons. They do what they had to do at home. They still have that other game left. But for two teams that I've actually picked as unders, the Saints had 9.5 and the Falcons were 8.5. And And I still think I'm going to clinch. And that was a bit of a risk because whenever you pick over-under numbers, and maybe I'll get to that, if not later on, when we get past the 13-game mark for everybody in the league, when we get down to the final four games, I'll dust off the over-unders for the year. But I know I picked those two teams as unders, and that's dangerous because... Their schedules were pretty weak because they were playing against the AFC South. And obviously they're playing against each other in a division, which isn't stout to say the least. Obviously you have the Carolina Panthers who are 1-10 and and you have the Buccaneers who I believe are what, two games behind or maybe even a game behind. Even with their loss yesterday at 4-7, and seven, they're still a game behind the Saints and Falcons. Which is incredible when you think about it. But with that being said... Both of these teams look like they're probably going to fall under. Even if the Saints are 9-8 and and win a division, I'll still win considering that their number was 9.5. And, and the same for the Falcons. If they go 8-9 and and win a division, guess what? Yours truly wins on that note. So that's what you have between those two teams and we'll see how they fare down the road. The Chiefs, after their loss on Monday night, did what they had to do against the Vegas Raiders. And even though the Raiders got off to a 14-0 lead where you probably thought at first, oh, maybe this could be a situation where the Raiders could get back in the win column to see if they could be of any relevance. In the AFC playoff picture, Kansas City said, uh-uh. Outscored them 31-3 to the rest of the way, 31-17 as they continue their dominance over the Raiders. No shock there. So now you have a scenario which that was a big win for the Chiefs only because it keeps pace with the Baltimore Ravens, who currently have the one seed in the AFC based on their win last night against the Chargers. I was in and out of this game. I know the Chargers at 13-10, they got stopped there. I believe it was a fourth and short. And then the icing on the cake was the touchdown to Zay Flowers, about a 40-yard run to put the capper on a win there for the Ravens. And they still have their bye, which I believe is this coming week. So if the Chiefs would have lost that game, that could have been huge because you don't want a situation where you're going to have to make up these games down the road. And the Ravens, although they do have a tricky schedule, they got to go to Jacksonville, they got to go to San Francisco, and then they have Pittsburgh coming into their building later on, which I'll get to next. Pittsburgh, when they fired Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, and you just knew And I'm sure he was stewing somewhere in Pittsburgh or maybe in the Pittsburgh area where they finally put up some offensive numbers, not necessarily in the point totals, but for a Steeler team that had gone 40-something games without amassing 400 yards of offense and they were able to put up 424 yards to where Kenny Pickett threw for 278 yards, was 24 of 33, they opened the playbook a little bit to where they got Pat Fryermuth, and I get it that he's been hurt most of the year, but he put up nine catches for 120 yards. They threw the ball downfield. They weren't trying to play safe. And even though, again, they only scored 16 points, so you can't get too crazy, but it was a sight to behold to see this team going up and down the field. And granted that the Bengal defense is not the 85 Bears, I understand. But for the Steelers to win 16-10, And that was a big win for them because it does keep pace with the Ravens in the AFC North. And if people are going to say, Jay Reels, wait a minute, they're 7-4 and and the Ravens are 9-3. and Well, remember, the Steelers beat the Ravens way back in Week 5 in Pittsburgh. And with their schedule upcoming, two home games against Arizona and New England. And that's a Thursday night short week. They could easily get themselves to 9-4. and And I talked about where the... Ravens stand as far as who they play in the coming weeks and especially on the road. It's not out of the realm of possibility with a Week 18 matchup that the AFC North could come down to that game. I'm not saying it's going to be the case. Far from it. As I've said, the Steelers have been doing it with smoke and mirrors. Yesterday, notwithstanding, and it was the first time that they actually outgained a team offensively all year, if you can imagine that. But the Steelers, who knows? Maybe this was an eye-opener. Maybe having Canada gone, which I've said for weeks on end, and I'm sure everybody else in Steeler Nation felt the same way. But now, could this be maybe a bit of a semblance of a Steeler offense that we could see with very good skill position players? Fryer moved the tight end. Deontay Johnson, who was just awful on that one fumble there by Jalen 
Warren where he didn't even go anywhere near the ball. He just turned his back and walked away and he had a, just a lame excuse there in the post-game conference. So that was just a bad job by Deontay there. But he had a big catch there on the sideline there in the second quarter. And for the Steelers, who knows? This team is not going to a Super Bowl or has a deep playoff run in them, but they've been a pleasant surprise here. And who knows, with Canada out and maybe with the running backs coach, Eddie Faulkner, and even the quarterback coach who's going to call most of the plays and a one Mike Sullivan, maybe this team can wake up, get out of its season-long slumber offensively, and do some damage. And especially with the two teams that are forthcoming on the schedule, maybe they could pad their stats and get themselves for a home stretch to where they could be 9-4 and and maybe even compete for the AFC North. Who would have thought that just a few weeks ago? And with that Steeler win, combined with the Cleveland Brown loss in Denver, which you could say that was a bit of a letdown. Now, you had some injuries there with Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who suffered a concussion. And even Miles Garrett said he heard a pop in his shoulder, so who knows how severe that injury could be. And that would be just a big blow for the Brown defense. But they go to the Mile High City, and Denver now looks like a team that could be laying in the weeds, not to say that they're going to have a long playoff run ahead of them, but considering from where they were to where they are now, 6-5, and five, a game over 500 with some big wins here along the way, beating the Chiefs, beating Minnesota, now beating Cleveland here. And although Russell Wilson, unspectacular, you got to give it up to what the Bronco defense did in this game. But for Cleveland, that was a tough loss for them to swallow because now with the... Record at 7-4, and four, tied with the Steelers. And remember, the Steeler division record is 3-1, and one, even though they split with the Browns this year. But the Browns already have two division losses, with the other loss coming at the hands of the Ravens. And they have one more division game left, that being against the Cincinnati Bengals, the final game of the season, which you would think they would win. But with the Steelers still having two more division games left, Cincinnati in their building, and then of course the Ravens at the end of the year. Who knows where the chips may fall when it comes to the Browns. And a lot of people were getting a little bit too crazy after their win against Pittsburgh last week. Talking about how this team with their defense, they could ride to a Super Bowl. Yes, but that's a big if. They have to play along the likes of the 2000 Ravens and the 85 Bears to get to a Super Bowl. Because even with a healthy Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you think this team is going to have a run in them? To get to a Super Bowl, considering that their defense has to play lights out. They'd have to give up anywhere between 10 to 13 points a game in order for them to get to a Super Bowl. And when you look at that Raven defense, 21-3 against the Broncos in the opening game. 10 points against the Titans in the divisional game. 3 points against the Raiders in the championship game. And in the Super Bowl, it was a kick return by Ron Dixon... The only points that were scored by the Giants in that game where they gave up seven points, well, when you think about it, the defense gave up no points. So they're going to have to play along that level to get to a Super Bowl, and I don't think the defense can. So let's pump the brakes on the Browns after that Steeler win that, oh yeah, I believe in them that they could get deep into January and to Vegas to represent the AFC. Uh Uh-uh, not this guy. So now the Browns are going to kind of go through it to see what's going to happen there, and the Broncos give it up for them. As they continue to play well and put these games together, stringing these wins along, including a Monday night in Buffalo, which I understand they got a huge break by the Bill special teams where they were offsides and then they had to kick the field goal again after Lutz missed. And then they were able to get out of Buffalo with a win. So kudos to the Broncos and what they've done as far as this recent stretch here. And then you had Jacksonville and Houston, which was a... Huge game for Jacksonville, and they had to win this game by any means necessary, and they had to sweat out a final kick that was missed and actually hit the crossbar, which would have tied the game and put it into overtime. But Jacksonville, who lost to Houston earlier this year in Jacksonville, 37-17, to and C.J. Stroud had another stupendous performance, but they fell short and literally just inches away from tying the game. And that's one that could be huge for the AFC South as Jacksonville now has a two-game lead as I take a look at the standings real quick. Two-game lead, and you would think that they should be home free as far as winning the division and give it up for what they've done here after losing to San Francisco the way they did and just got pasted in that game where many people thought, all right, it was the Niners, but can they rebound? Can they can they get themselves back on the beam? And even though they beat the Titans last week, 
But having that win was just enormous for them. And you would think that they should cruise to a division title. And that's pretty much your week. As this coming week, we'll get to the schedule with the big game being San Francisco, Philadelphia on Sunday. But this coming Thursday, when we reconvene, we'll get a peek into week 13. You're going to have a couple of teams on buys. I believe you're going to have a big slate. Let me just take a quick look at that, if I may, before I get to the college. The schedule for week 13... Your Thursday night game is Seattle and Dallas. They both played, of course, on Thursday. As we talked about, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington, Dallas. So they're going to have a week off. And you're going to have six bye teams this week. Buffalo, Chicago, Vegas, Minnesota, the Giants, and Baltimore. And I believe that is going to be your last slate of bye weeks before we get to the final month of the season. And that's what you got with the NFL. Now, as I turn my attention to college football, and boy, are you going to have just an epic weekend this coming Saturday, or really Friday when you think about it, because that's when the schedule is going to start, when we have Oregon and Washington. But we'll get to that more on Thursday as we'll preview the conference championship games, and we'll really tell what the look is going to be when it comes to this college football playoff. And this is the last time we're going to see this, people, because starting next year, you're going to have the 12 teams, so even teams that have lost two games throughout the course of a regular season and may not even make it to a conference championship will be a part of the playoffs. So you're going to have a lot of drama. You're going to have a lot to really look forward to. I'm looking forward to not only watching the games, but even getting the sleeves rolled up to talk about it more and preview it on Thursday. But when we look at what happened over the course of the weekend, and we'll start off with Ohio State and Michigan. I know Ryan Day is sick to his stomach, devastated, just everything that he said in the post game, And this one, you know, is going to sting even more. Not because that the Buckeyes had a shot there at 30-24, to 24, knowing that if they could have gone down the field and scored a touchdown there, it would have been a storybook ending and just a two proverbial middle fingers toward the big house, the Michigan alumni, the fans, the students, etc., to where that would have been his biggest coaching win by far. Without having Jim Harbaugh on the other sideline to just rub it in. And for Ohio State, their third straight year, not winning against the hated Michigan Wolverines. This is one, again, I'm sure he's still sick to his stomach. I'm sure he still hasn't slept. And Ohio State, they're going to have to get a wing and a prayer in order for them to get into the dance, not like last year, because remember, they did lose to Michigan and still made it into the Final Four, but this year that's not going to be the case unless Iowa somehow, someway pulls off a miracle and beats Michigan. What you would have to think at this very moment, that is going to be far from the case. And what more can you say? Michigan, they were pretty much in front the whole game, I get it that it was back and forth. They got the touchdown there in the third quarter to tie the game at 17. But then Michigan was able to take the lead. And they weren't in any real danger of losing this game. At least I think. But still, it was competitive. And you had to wonder on that final drive whether or not Ohio State was going to pull off just a... It would have been, I would think at that stage of the game, it would have been just an epic finish. It would have probably been one of the more classic endings that you could have possibly had in this long-standing rivalry. But of course, when the Buckeyes were moving into Michigan territory and you had the interception there to ice it, not necessarily deep in Michigan territory, but right there around the, what was it, 37-yard line, and give it up. I understand that the quarterback, Kyle McCord, he was going to just do his best to try to get himself down the field to see whether or not that he was going to put his team into the end zone to have that miraculous win, but they fell short. And those are the breaks there in college football. And if you wonder whether or not if this game was being played in Columbus as opposed to Michigan, would the outcome would have been different? Obviously, you're not going to know that. I'm sure they would have had all the momentum, the fans, students, etc. on their side, but you can't look at it that way. And I'm sure there's a certain faction that are going to think that, oh, if this game was in our building, it would have been different. Well, it wasn't, and you can't say that. So Ohio State looks like they're going to be gone from the college football playoff mix, which no surprise considering how Michigan now, although the mantra from the quarterback J.J. McCarthy was team, 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 now they're going to look ahead to 
face Iowa in the Big Ten Championship and then have their eyes set on a third straight semifinal. And we're going to see what's going to happen not only this past weekend, but where the rankings will be. And we'll talk more about that next week at this time. The other game, which I still, when I even watch the highlight again, I ask myself, how in the hell did Alabama win this game? Because it boiled down to that one play. And yes, we could talk about earlier plays in the game and how the game unfolded. And when you look at it from being a first and goal, and this is the thing that's going to stun the Alabama hater that's going to hit him right where it hurts, where the Tigers had him where they just needed him, even though it was first and goal. And we could look at the scenario where Alabama, they were going to punch it in, but they just kept going backwards and backwards and backwards to the point it was fourth and goal from the 31-yard line. And what happens at that point? You would think that it's going to be a Hail Mary. It's going to be a situation where Auburn, they're going to play back. They could watch the underneath stuff, which is dangerous because anytime you have a situation where you have an open middle of the field and maybe you can lateral it to a player or two, and even though you may have a defensive player on their heels, which could happen, and not to say that it was going to be Cal Stanford all over again, the famous play from, what, 40-some-odd years ago? But this was one where I thought that if it wasn't going to be heaved in the end zone, watch it be a scenario where they're going to try to throw it underneath and do some trickery to where they somehow, some way punch it into the end zone, and then that would have been even more of a gut punch, of a loss for Auburn. But as it was, Jalen Milrow, he's looking around, around, he's backpedaling, he's trying to find a man that's open. What does he do? He throws it to the back of the end zone in the corner. And what happens? Reaching high in the air over everybody. And when I say everybody, it's just a defensive back. Isaiah Bond comes down with the ball and their miraculous win by the Crimson Tide, 32 seconds left. Again, fourth and goal from the 31. Ah, oh, just to see Nick Saban's face. And I understand they're going to go up against Georgia. And that's a game that Alabama can win. And I'll save that again for Thursday. But, oh, man, that was just... Ah, oh, I was just sick. Because I was hoping that Auburn would have finished the job. All they had to do was just get that last stop. And we wouldn't have to worry about Alabama the rest of the way. And now we're going to have to see whether or not they're going to compete against the Georgia team. And if they win that game, they're going into the college football playoff. Because obviously they'll be the champs of the SEC. But one more time, that will be discussed on Thursday. But that was one that, uh, it still stuck with me. And here it is more than 48 hours later. Which is, ugh, I can't stand Alabama. Cannot. And then the last game was Washington and Washington State. And that came right down to the wire where the Huskies have been a team that have been lighting up scoreboards left and right. We know the type of numbers that they put up this year. And for them to play against the in-state rival, Washington State, and for them to have to wait to the final seconds to kick that field goal and they had that one crazy play off tackle that set themselves up for the game-winning field goal, which was what, 42 yards? And the Huskies were able to get out of that game alive. Just their second perfect season in school history. And with Michael Penix Jr., who for him and the way he's performed this year, did not have a good game. But nevertheless, they were able to survive considering that the Cougars were game. And remember, this was in the Huskies' home field. So this wasn't a road game where you could see This being a scenario of a letdown or maybe the Washington State crowd was that much of a factor to see if they could try to will their team to pull off an upset. But the Huskies were able to hang in there and stay alive. And now that we've come to conference championship week and how they have a date with Oregon come Friday night and with the game that they had earlier this year where it was another barn burner, high scoring game, which you could pretty much think it's going to be the same this time around again. It's going to make for a fascinating weekend. And those, to me, were the three games of obviously note and needed to be highlighted because these are the three games and the three teams that I think, even if Georgia loses, they're going to make it into the Final Four, at least so you would think. If Washington would have lost, their chances of making it into the Final Four would have been out the window. And same for Alabama. If they would have lost that game, they would have been toast as well. And even with Florida State winning, because you got to remember them, although they're currently fifth in the nation, but you cannot forget them because they are hoping 
for Washington to lose they're hoping for maybe even Georgia to lose because even though I think they'll get in but a lot of people in the ACC Florida State they're going to think that because we're undefeated that we should be able to leapfrog over everybody to get into the final four I think it's unlikely but hey you never know and we're going to have it all set up for you come Thursday as we'll preview conference championship week especially those three big games and the ones that certainly going to have a lot of meaning that when we reconvene next Monday, we'll certainly unpack it all and we'll see the complete lay of the land as to what the college football Final Four will look like at that time. All right, now let me put on my high tops and go through the association as a week from now, we're going to be discussing the in-season tournament, how it's going to come down to the semifinals and all that where I haven't really followed it, people. Yes, I've been following the NBA, but as far as all these brackets and how these teams have performed and what's gone on with their records, etc., I know the Lakers, and it made me raise my antenna when I know in their group play that they were 4-0, and I said, you know what, this is something I'm going to have to unpack here to get to you guys and gals, the audience, to see where these teams are going to lie when it comes to the tournament overall, and all I could say is this. The matchups are going to take place next Monday. You got Monday and Tuesday, and then Thursday, I guess, is the semifinal game where you have the championship that Saturday, December 9th. So it's two weeks from this past Saturday where you'll have the NBA Cup championship for what that is worth. Because again, I haven't really followed this to a T to really get a better sense of what's going on here with this month-long tournament. And although you do have some surprises, and that one surprise to me are the Orlando Magic because they are a team that has currently won seven in a row. They actually beat the Celtics the other day. And the Celtics have had trouble against the Magic here over the last couple of years or a year and a half, dating back to last year because they won the first game in their four-game season series, the Celtics that is. And then since then, The Magic have not only reeled off three in a row, but also on Friday down in Orlando where the Magic beat the Celtics, where Boston was just in a slumber there in that second half. But the Magic are currently three and one in that group. And again, they've won seven in a row. They're 12 and five here in the early part of the season. We understand that they're a young team looking to put it together to see whether or not that they could be amongst the ranks of the top teams in the East with Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, etc. So guys like Paolo Boncaro, the number one pick last year out of Duke, Franz Wagner, who's been a very good big man for them, Cole Anthony, who had a big performance yesterday, scoring 30 against the Hornets. And are they a team to be reckoned with? Are they a team that, oh, should we really keep on our radar? For right now, I guess you could say so, only because they're young, but do you expect them to be there at the end of the day when you get into April, May, and June? Way too early to tell, but you would think your gut would say, "Uh uh-uh, I don't think they're ready for primetime just yet, but because they're a young team and don't know their way around winning, but they love to play and they are gelling so far in this early part of the season, you got to give them credit. Because I didn't think that the Magic, although I thought they were going to Take a leap. And what I mean by them, maybe be on the fringe of the 7, 8, 9, and 10 when it comes to the play-in tournament for the playoffs. I didn't think that in this early going, they were going to win 12 of their first 17 and beat some good opponents along the way. But another team that's also played well and are number one in their group are the Pacers. They're currently 4-0. I know other teams that are undefeated. The Lakers, like I mentioned, they were... 4-0 in their group play with the Suns, Jazz, Trailblazers, and Grizzlies. The Pacers are in a group with Cleveland, Philadelphia, Atlanta, and Detroit. The Kings are also undefeated in their group with Minnesota, Golden State, OKC, and San Antonio. But for this week, we'll certainly keep an eye on what's going to happen as we get into the weekend. And then obviously we'll... Have to break it all down next Monday to where you're going to have some games there. Monday night, Tuesday night with a break on Wednesday. Then you're going to have your semifinals there on Thursday. A doubleheader and then the culmination that Saturday night. I don't know if that's a TNT. I guess that would have to be if I take a look at the schedule. That may be 
all on TNT unless it's going to be an ABC game. No, that'll be an ABC and it makes sense. 8.30, their Saturday showcase. I guess that will introduce that before we get to Christmas there a couple of weeks after that. So that is your NBA pretty much in a big nutshell when it comes to the in-season tournament. For those who followed, I give you guys and gals credit. But for me, other than that, I know you had the Bucks play the Portland Trailblazers yesterday, which was the first game for Damian Lillard against his former team, scoring 31 points and a 26-point come-from-behind win, the biggest comeback in the NBA so far this year. So just to think that Portland had a big lead and looked like they were going to run away with the game, but that was not the case as Lillard and Giannis came from the depths of almost 30 points to pull out a victory and the Bucs have played well as they're also 12-5. and five. The Sixers, 11-5, and five, as you have a pretty jammed top Eastern Conference with the Celtics leading at 13-4. and four. And we talked about the Pacers there. Played well in group play, but 9-6 and six overall. And for the teams out West, I know you've had the reversal there when it comes to Minnesota being Number one currently right now with OKC number two, 12-4, 11-5. The Suns winning at the Garden yesterday with no Kevin Durant as Devin Booker hit a three to ice the game against the Knicks. And then you have Denver, Dallas, Sacramento. The Lakers currently seventh in that 7-10 range where Golden State rounds out that 7-10 at 8-9. And with Draymond Green and his comments not regretting the headlock there, on Rudy Gobert as he served the suspension. No shock there. He's not going to take a backseat or even backpedal from what happened there against the T-Wolves a couple of weeks ago. But that is pretty much your NBA overall. And like I said, when we get closer to the end of the week, we'll see where we are when it comes to the tournament and set the stage for that come a week from today. As far as the NHL, the Rangers and Bruins played on a Saturday where the Rangers outlasted the Bruins 7-4 on Madison Square Garden ice. And it made me think whether or not the Rangers, and I've talked about them as a team that could probably get to a cup. I didn't pick them to go to a cup. But knowing that they've had some big-time success here in the first almost quarter pole of the season, And for them to have that big of a victory against the Bruins team, as we all know, have pretty much not skipped the regular season beat dating back to last year. But the Rangers currently, 31 points, 15-3-1, have the most wins in the conference, although they're tied in points with the Bruins. But the Rangers, led by, of all people, Jonathan Quick. Remember him? He is the netminder that, of course, had won two Stanley Cups out in L.A. and signed a one-year deal with the Rangers this year. As insurance for one Igor Shosturkin, who for all intents and purposes hasn't been as big of a factor as a lot of people thought he would. And he is a top goalie. That's not to discredit or discount what Shosturkin could do. But when we take a look at Quick and what his presence has been so far in this early part of the year for the Rangers. Now mind you, Shosturkin's going to be the guy as we understand. But Jonathan Quick is 6-0 in his starts with a goals against under 2 leading the league in save percentage. So they have a very competent and bonafide backup that if Shesterkin, for whatever reason, has a meltdown throughout the course of the regular season or even into the playoffs, you have a guy who I understand is up there in age but has a lot of experience and has hardware as well as the rings on his finger when it comes to a Stanley Cup as he's, what, 37 years of age? So the Rangers, we're going to have to certainly, and they're right here in my backyard in the borough of Manhattan, certainly pay attention and keep my fingers on the pulse as to what the Rangers will do here throughout the course of this regular season. But besides that, NHL is rather low-key as we know. Obviously, no in-season tournaments for them, so we don't have to worry about that. But for the NHL, you have some situations where Taylor Hall, a guy that was signed by the Blackhawks to be a leader for one Connor Bedard, the young rookie wonderkind, number one pick overall, or wonder kid, I should say, of the Blackhawks, with Hall going down for the season with an ACL injury. And ever since he was an MVP there for the Devils a few years back, he has not been, for whatever reason, the same player or has not played at that level 
ever since you won that MVP in Jersey. So that's uh, something to take a look at there. If you're a Blackhawk fan, obviously you're not going to see him for the rest of the year. And then you also have a scenario where the, let me just take a look here as I go through. Yeah, everything is pretty much status quo when it comes to the standings. But for the rest of the league, I know the Kings actually have played pretty well here. Won five in a row to get toward the top of the Pacific there with the Golden Knights. They're just a point behind them and tied with Vancouver there for the second place in that division. And to go back to the Rangers, can they compete with the Bruins? Of course they can, based on what they've done so far in this early part of the season. But again, it is a long season. A lot of games to be played, as we all know. And speaking of which, a familiar face is now in net, back for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's a one, Andre Vasilevsky, who had 22 saves and a win against the Carolina Hurricanes the other day, winning 8-2. to So for him to be out the first couple of months of the season, really a, eh, about a month and a half, Good for the Lightning fan as they try to get themselves in good stead in the Atlantic. We understand that they did not make it to the Cup last year, losing in the first round to Toronto after three straight trips to the Stanley Cup Finals, including two back-to-back there in 2020 and 2021. But that's what you have there with the NHL as they continue to soldier on and go into the month of December. And then to wrap up with some baseball, Hot Stove has been relatively quiet and I know you're going to have I believe the owners meetings are coming up in about a week or so but the only news that we have to share are a trade with the Diamondbacks and Mariners as Eugenio Suarez the third baseman gets shipped to Arizona with Evan Longoria gone so now they replace their old time third baseman and I understand he only signed there for a year as he was with the Giants before that Longoria but you have Suarez who has a little bit of pop but his numbers were down last year so the D-backs bring in a guy who has a veteran presence, can hit the long ball, and also play a good third base. Makes you wonder what the Mariners are thinking as far as their plans. Maybe they have a guy waiting in the wings to play third base. That remains to be seen. But you have he as well as a new manager where Mike Schilt, the old Cardinal manager before Oliver Marmol, signs a two-year deal with the Padres. And that's a very good signing. Schilt was a very good manager and I believe was dismissed unceremoniously. A guy that should have kept his job, brought his teams to postseasons, and I get it that he was a far cry from Tony LaRusso when he won his World Series many years ago with the Cardinals, but Schilt was shown the door, I thought, prematurely, and now he gets to resurface in San Diego, which I believe will be a big boost, and even though he's been out of the game for a couple of years, what that means for the Padres a regrouping and a retooling of a team that has a big payroll. And Juan Soto, we don't know where he's going to go. A lot of people think he's going to get traded here this upcoming offseason. So we'll definitely keep our eyes on that. And then you had Kenta Maeda, a very low-grade signing, was with the Twins, signs with the Tigers for two years. So who knows what's going to happen as they try to get some reinforcements in the Motor City because a lot of thought is that Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy that could be on the block. He signed to what? A five-year, I believe it was like $75 million deal with the Tigers after leaving the Red Sox. So who knows if that means Rodriguez is going to be on his way out. So therefore, they had to bring in a guy like Maeda, who's a veteran guy, good pitcher, but a guy that you're not going to sell tickets or rally around. He's a three, maybe a four starter at best. So the Tigers trying to do some wheeling as they may have some dealing when it comes to their left-hander Rodriguez at some point here this offseason, that remains to be seen. But besides that, no talk on Otani, no talk on Yamamoto as far as him last Tuesday. He was up for bidding, but not a lot of news coming out of that camp to see where he's going to sign here in the coming days. But I'm sure that's going to surprise us and smack us in the face at some point. And you know I'll be on top of it, people, as well as everything else that's happening in sports because... That will put a topper on the latest and greatest episode delivered right to you here on the J Reels Podcast. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your participation, carving out precious minutes out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. You know the deal, people. Let's get the word out to let everybody know, increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, follow me on my YouTube channel, at J Reels. 
Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, X, Twitter, J Reels One, just the number, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say. Talking sports, breathing sports, watching sports, reading sports is what I do and have done for my entire existence. And if you haven't heard that here over the course of the last hour, then I don't know what you're listening to, people. But with that being said, you know, no matter what happens in the field of competition, I'm going to deliver it into your earbuds, headphones, or speakers with nothing but fire, passion, fury, energy, with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, critiques, analysis, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>